Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is Book Club. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. All right, everyone, welcome to Book Club. Today we are doing The Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna by Juliet Grames, or maybe it's Grammas. I don't know how to say it, but anyway, that's what we're doing. That's a pretty mouthful for a title of a book, which implies seven or eight deaths of a character, Stella Fortuna. But anyway, first thoughts about this book. Go ahead, Shanaz. Okay, okay, fine. Go ahead, Shanaz. Yeah, right. It's like, wait a minute. Well, let's ha- let me set the tone and then we go from there. Okay, I really did love this book quite a bit. Uh, I think a few things that really stuck with me. The book itself was just very intense all through. There were like some characters that I just wanted to just string upside down and hang them in a town square, but that's a different story. But, you know, just it was really good emotionally. There was a lot to take in and process. I loved how real and honest she spoke about her experiences and how how things happened. I mean, yeah, it's a different culture, but it's really any culture. It's really any patriarchy And I think this book needed to be told. I mean, the story needed to be told. And I'm really glad this book is out there. And I really liked it. That was my first thought. Do you want me to go? Yes, please. Rufus, go. Yeah. So I also really liked the book. I loved reading it. And um, I thought her writing was really beautiful. And I like immigration stories. They always bring so much to the table. And, you know, she goes far back and it's really nice how she put everything together and I the first like I'm gonna say one fifth one fourth of the book I was a little like I I'm gonna be honest I did not want to read the book I was like I I could not get my like I why do I have to read I was like I was a little angry at Chanel's I was like why did you pick this (laughs) okay it's not my fault it, there you have to be Aaron's. Aaron's fault. Get angry yeah, at Aaron. Angry at Aaron. Now I remember. I was like, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Please yes. don't throw me under the bus too. I'm just. I just said okay. You know. I'm but just anyway, joking. No, no, no. I know. I know. I'm just. I'm joking too. All right. So go ahead. So um, yeah, it was kind of a little hard to get through the first. Uh, I'm going to say one fourth, one fifth, and also because I didn't want to read it, but then. It was a book that it's very hard to put down for sure. Love the writing, love the characters, the way she has those complex personalities. The mood of the reader, I think, goes up and down. It's very inconsistent, which keeps it going like, you know, are you sympathetic? Are you annoyed at the character? So all those things were really nice. 
I think I'll have to, um, I just finished it last night before going to bed and I would like to maybe sit on it a little bit more to have my first thoughts. In the general sense, I uh, like that it was informative. It was talking about immigration, but it was just life, like life itself that it did not have a message that I thought, you know, we are so used to of extracting out from a book. You know, that's where I, you know, I was like, it, it didn't really conclude, but then not every story has to conclude and not every life has to have a, a message about everybody. Maybe it has messages for other people, but that was a little bit of my, and I, I need to sit on the book a little bit more. I mean, I suggested it after I had read it and I really, I didn't know what I was getting myself into at first. I mean, the title intrigued me and I agree it was a little slow. It, I mean, it's a long book in general, but I do love her writing and I did love following the characters through the generations and through geographic space. And it was, it was very complex and it did give you, I don't think emotional whiplash or anything, but you know, you, you definitely go, there's happy times. There's not happy times. Sometimes you get annoyed with the main character. Like I got super annoyed with her when she was not very interested in marrying who she ended up marrying. And like, it made me really sad. I mean, it, I know she was like, like she, she was being forced to marry. It made me really sad though, that I do think they had a love story, but I felt like a bit like it was ruined in a way because she was just so anti, I think she was just anti-marriage. I don't even know that it was like anti him. She was just didn't want to get married. And And I support that. She shouldn't have to get married. But I think that she also was kind of like cheating herself out of feelings that she did have for him. Because I think she liked him all along. She just couldn't fathom the being married. And in the end, I think she was way more functional than her siblings, for whatever that's worth. Uh, Shockingly, any of them were really functional after everything that they went through, the trauma that they went through. But I, I appreciated the perspective. It was not a a cultural story or immigration story that I had read before. So I appreciated it. And I don't know if there's a takeaway message either. So I agree with that, Riffith. I I just want to say, I don't think she's necessarily anti-marriage. Yes, she is anti-marriage, but it what really the reality is she's anti-male and anti-sex. And it's those two elements that in that time, in that culture, the only marriage she was afforded was to a male. And that marriage involved having sex. And I think those two elements are very heavy on the book. And I mean, let's talk about themes of the book, but I really think one of the themes is being anti-male, that it does not matter what you do to me or you say to me, you know, you could bring me flowers and chocolates and you could, you know, write me poems or anything. I distrust you because you are male, period. I will look and I will find whatever it is you're hiding because you're a man, which means as a man, your innate sense is to not be a good person. Your innate sense is to not be caring and loving, but that's from 
brainwash, years of brainwash from her father. That is all she ever saw. And the whole sex thing was, it all came from the fact that A, she saw her parents having sex and she she was able to process the act as sex and not as making love. And it was very much like, as her mom says, the best man is the man who can get it done fast. You know, those kind of, a, those kind of things is what she grew up with constantly. So yes, I was angry with her and upset with her when she didn't want to marry him. And I kept thinking, well, but he's actually being nice. He even asked her before the marriage, tell me, you know, is this something you want? Blah, blah, blah. And she, I, you know, she could have told him, but then I, but then there was a part of me that took her side also, as much as I was angry and hated her, there was a part of me that took her side and said, you know what, this man has not respected you to accept no for an answer. So yes, he loves you or whatever, but he does not respect you because you have said no to him several times. And to him, you're a commodity that needs to be won. And so that's kind of where it was this balancing act. I mean, part of me was like, oh, he's so nice. But again, it's a cultural theme, I think, not just in that culture, but culturally, what is culturally acceptable? and norm for anybody. When you think about, you know, your children or something, you know, the conversations, Rifat, Aaron, you know, it's like, oh, you know, when she grows up and when she gets married, you know, I want this for her. Or when she has children, that's just the norm. This is how our life is. This is what we've accepted. And this is how we talk. It's almost like, you know, when you grow up, you go to you go to school, you go to college, it's just what is accepted. And then you have you get married. There is never a time in our lives, even in our own lives, I'm saying, that we ever thought that a norm, an acceptable norm would be for you to never get married and to never have children. It, it is the minority right now. And well, it is... And it is something that's looked down upon, too. I mean, not looked down upon, but there is, you know, we do talk about that kind of. I mean, I don't know if we do talk about it, but I know people probably whisper like, oh, why isn't she married? Oh, she doesn't have children. I mean, it's none of our business, but but go ahead. I think think it's getting better. You know, I I, I think that as the generations go, (laughs) that it's becoming more acceptable to, you know, not have children or only have one child. I mean, like, but I will say, like, I do still have family members that make comments about that we only have one child. And I'm like, not that it's any of your business, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, so you, you're right that there are still generations of people and it's mainly an older generation of people that I feel like still make those comments. But something that I've tried to be conscious about and we've tried to be conscious about is like not saying like when you get married, so that there's not an expectation of that. And I think another thing that we we try to emphasize is like marriage is not a milestone. 
Because if you put it as a milestone, then it makes it seem like you're supposed to get there, like for success, right? But um, but if you're saying like, well, some people choose to do that and some people don't, so it's not a milestone. Like getting a job, having a career, that's a milestone. I've, I've even like tried to stop saying like go to college because that's right for some people, but it's not right for everybody, right? So, you, you know, you still got to be careful about that. But I, um, I think, you know, when we talk about our hopes and goals and dreams, while probably many of us have more specific hopes and goals and dreams for our children. I think that we have to be careful about how we voice them. And so maybe, you know, what we voice is, well, we just hope that you're happy when you, you know, my goal for you is to be a happy, well-adjusted person, period. And that's it, you know? So before before you say uh, anything or piggyback on what we both said, what do you think, Erin, what do you believe are the themes of this book. I know we talked about, you know, cultural expectations, I guess, women's roles, women's expectations. Uh, I mentioned sex as a, one of the themes I think is a big thing. I know patriarchy is one of the big things, hating men and men's cultural norm, if you want to call it that norm and or expectation, not that it's necessarily right or wrong, but it, you know, where that's going. What other themes do you think I think trauma is a theme. And in this particular family, it shapes a lot of the main character, Stella Fortuna, you know, what she is doing in her life. It it shapes, you know, if she hadn't have had that trauma as a child, like where she was watching her parents and processing that whole intimacy scene, if you want to, you know, I don't know, I guess I'm using the term intimacy lightly because I think it was more of a duty from her mom's perspective than it was intimacy. But when her father like catches her and then, you know, physically abuses her and traumatizes her, like a lot of her feelings about not trusting men, about not wanting to get married, about, you know, not wanting to be intimate with a partner. That's all really honestly because of that moment, right? Um, Not to say that there weren't moments leading up to that or more moments after that or like her mom's philosophies, but like that was like a pivotal time. Like, that's where a lot of her evidence that she kind of puts forth throughout the book comes from. So I think the trauma is definitely a theme within the book and the effects, the long lasting effects of trauma, even generational effects of trauma, because her dad was a product of a family where incest was, and I would say like molestation and incest was acceptable and it was done apparently regularly. And like, that's what he ended up doing. You know, is it that he was conditioned to think that that was normal and that was okay? I mean, I don't know how it couldn't have been part of that, right? But at any rate, like that was long-term effects of trauma on him too. Rufat, anything else? Yeah, uh, no, those are the themes I was also thinking about. And to me, it seemed like whenever I read some review here and there, I didn't read much about the book, but it seemed like everybody talks about her seven or eight lives, how she was, uh, you know, that was seems to be the main theme of the book for a lot of people. And that seemed to be the title of the book. That is what it is about too. But for me, that was very, the last thing I was concentrating on. For me, this was the biggest thing, her personality, herself. And I think there are a few people that I know in my life who are very stubborn like her. And to me, it seems like what the writer was trying to do is to, now that I think about the message, I think that maybe one of the messages that 
you know, there are people who cannot conceive things the way others do or the way other people conceive. And her stubbornness was in the way and she just had a very single-minded and I want to say a self-inflicted idea about everything. So there are people like one of my aunts is like that. And I know that she did not have a happy life because she just thought she was, that's how things should be. And there are many people like that on some level. Hers was really extreme. So maybe understanding those people, you know, that to me seemed like, you know, we sometimes are again, very easy. It's very like, um, I said that she's stubborn and we always judge her. She's stubborn, but that's not maybe how she, perceives things you know for her it's hard to get through and I'm sure Tina must have watched parents having you know intercourse or there are a lot of people especially in older generation you know from our countries who have watched but not everybody ends up having this trauma not everybody ends up hating men and that that's that was a point that I was thinking like she got married whenever she was 27 28 so this book has a lot of conflicting you know thoughts that I get when I was reading and I still do that women folk from those little towns or villages or even when she comes here there's a community and I just uh, kind of did not understand uh, that why did nobody talk to her about uh, like, you know, sex or that that it is enjoyable and it's OK. And, you know, yes, it's hard to the first time and whatever, but nobody seemed to have or she never had that opportunity to talk to somebody or nobody was able to tell that to her because a lot of girls in our cultures are like, you know, very scared of it. You know, they're growing up, they get married at 16 or so they don't know. And then they get used to it and it's all good. But then it's also that women uh, community and, the, the you know, all those women together, which help, they help each other. Uh, they prepare the girls before they get married. Okay, you know, this is going to happen. And so I thought that's what was lacking. Like if she were only 13, 14 and got married, I but she went all the way up to 27. And she still never nobody ever talked to her about it and put her fears at rest even if nobody knew there were any fears I think that's that's something which is a typical um I want to say back home where you know first night is the night you have intercourse or sex or you make love and I know that culturally women do tell it's not your mom but either your friend or cousin or an older aunt who tells you this is how things are going to be and you know yes you may feel that it's only about him but it's also about you and so you know but that's where I thought why uh, was she why did the writer not create an opportunity and then I realized that that's why she made it a big deal that was one of her main thing that if a woman does not want to have sex then she should be left alone and it's okay Right. I think the whole thing about, well, someone could have talked to her and told her that sex is pleasurable or whatever. I disagree with that because I don't even think her mom enjoyed sex. It was her duty. All her knowledge of sex was that it was an act. I know Tina later on started enjoying it. I think I think she did. But in the beginning, it was all like, I can't believe there's all the stuff. And I, I, I don't even know why he's doing all the stuff, you know, like how. And she was talking about this and she talked to her all the time about her relationship, her intimate relationship with her husband. And essentially, like, 
complain about it. Like, oh my God, I, you, you believe it? This is all this guy wants and I got to do this and I got to do this again. And, and so she knew about sex, but she did not know about it being a bonding experience. She did not know about sex being a loving relationship type of an experience. She never was shown. She never saw it. She never, there was nowhere that she came across that it's like, oh, sex is good. So I think there is that. There's also, you know, a thought crossed my mind that maybe, just maybe, I'm, I'm throwing this out there, that maybe she could also have been asexual. I actually thought the same thing. So I think that your thought is founded. I was like, is she just asexual? Because there are definitely people that are. So I agree with you, Shanaz, as that could be a possibility. You know, and also it's not just, oh, let's show her. I mean, gosh, her dad like unzipped his pants and put his thing right in her face. I'm I'm sorry. And how old was she at that time? I mean, just come on. There's the trauma involved with that and to... To convince someone that, no, oh, no, sex is actually pretty good. Yeah, right. Okay, fine. You know what? You enjoy your good sex. I know you're just lying. That's kind of how I would think about it. I don't think any character in this book really mentioned sex in a good way. Not even her sister. I don't think sex is ever mentioned in a good way. The only time sex is mentioned in a semi-good way is her granddaughter, the narrator, is like, well, I know all this happened, but I'm really glad it happened because otherwise I wouldn't be here. Again, it's only mentioned in a good way as in sex equals procreation, and that's that. And I'm really curious about that time culturally, if ever sex was something to be pleasurable for women. I mean, I know now, you know, like in our generation and like, you know, like my cousins, when they got married, things like that, there is that knowledge, there is that expectation that at some point, this is going to be pleasurable, this is going to be a bonding experience, it's going to be all of that. But was it ever an expectation for any of these women in that time, ever? Especially the way her dad was. Because, I mean, if you... So I took human sexuality in college. And one of the things that they talk about is how, like, like a female orgasm was, like, not even, like, talked about. Or it wasn't, like... You know, some people thought it was very mythical. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) which is humorous now. So, I mean, can you imagine that you just have... I mean, there were women that probably went their entire marriages having sex and never, ever having a climax ever. I mean, like, that's just mind boggling to me. But I I think that you're dealing with that, like from that time frame. Also, you think about, you know, how did they treat what they call? So they had this, this condition that they diagnosed in women hysteria. Okay, I don't even know what that is. Um, but they treated it basically in a way to, to simulate orgasm. And so it's like, I mean, these were doctors that couldn't figure out why does this help women be calmer or what they didn't even know. I mean, like, I know this was probably more 
1800s, I, but it might have persisted into the 1900s. But that's still just, again, there are men today that couldn't explain true female anatomy to you. So I guess, <laughs> yeah, they can't pick out the parts and label them if they had to. Um, I mean, here, here, here's like just to kind of bring it to modern times, there was a politician who was like, can't you just swallow, swallow one of those pills that they do the, the uh, colonoscopies with, those camera pills, and you can just see the baby. And <laughs> the doctor that was being interviewed was like, um, the vagina and the uterus are not part of the digestive system. <laughs> so... <laughs> which we can all kind of laugh about and kind of be like, my God, these people are out there procreating, if you will, and, and having intimate relationships. And I, yeah, I mean, if they're so obsessed and focused on their own self, really like, and that was the focus of sex then. I, I do believe from a cultural and historic perspective, at least from the class that I took, like that's pretty norm. I don't think it was until like the sexual revolution of the seventies, right? Like that was kind of that time frame when women's uh, involvement in happiness and pleasure became a thing related to sex. So I'm still trying to process how the digestive system can potentially be connected <laughs> to the reproductive system because I'm just, I'm still trying to, I'm like, I'm connecting the dots here. I'm going, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. Fine. Let's connect it. I'm like, okay, where does the food come out of? And where I'm just like, you know, I'm kind of like, it's just, it's just, I'm just kind of, you know, anyway. Um, so I want to hear about memorable scenes, things that stuck out for you in this book. For me, I'll tell you, there was right in the beginning when the first Stella Fortuna, you know, was sick and the mom was pleading the dad let me, please let me take her to the hospital. I mean, I still, I'm still angry with the dad about it. I think I'm just still want to strangle him. Then of course, there is the scene of that, you know, when she sees her dad and her dad sees her and how her dad handles it. That's pretty graphic to me. And then her sister talking about, you know, men sucking on, I probably should just put this as a rated R episode, you know, because I, I definitely should put it as explicit on this episode, but yeah, much better because I you can't describe, you know, the book without putting it that way about how her sister kept going, oh my gosh, he really likes to suck on my nipples. I mean, like a baby, what the heck? And I'll be honest, that was something that like in one of my first sexual experiences, I thought about like, what the heck? Like, this is, this makes no sense to me. So when she said it that way, I was like, I went back to my first experiences and I'm going, oh my gosh. Yeah. What the heck? I still don't get it. But you know, there's, there's that scene and obviously her dad, you know, forcing her, abusing her before two days before the wedding and, you know, just, just the trauma of it. And then of course there, I'll always go back to the scene of finally what happened with her and her husband of, as, you know, when they finally quote unquote did it, you know, like how it was ultimately rape. But if that never happened, then she would have probably said no for the rest of her life. 
I think she would have said no for the rest of her married life. So there's there's no option there. I'm not defending rape, but I just don't even know how I feel about any of it. But those are my scenes. I mean, there's, but that's the thing. I read this book a month ago, a month and a half ago. And these scenes are like burned into my brain. Like they're etched, like it's like a branding. I can't get over it. I'm const- I'm like visually seeing it. And it's just is so disturbing. What, are, what about you guys? Scenes. I mean, all the scenes that you mentioned, the other one that I thought was like really powerful was when she falls down the stairs and she thinks she's going to die by herself. That part was like, I mean, I can't relate to that feeling, obviously, but I just thought like how, wow, like that's, that's really sad. And that's really, that's really hard, you know? And um, I don't honestly know if it was the, the brain damage or maybe even the trauma of like being there and thinking for all of that time that you're going to die you know, by yourself that put her to the point to where she was as far as like her talking to family members and being, they all were like, she's not normal um, after that, you know, but I, I mean, I don't know if a person can really be, how could you just go back to living after an experience like that? Yeah, I know no, a lot of themes in the book. Um, I really, was very I think the the most it wasn't disturbing the most impactful scene was when uh, they are on their honeymoon and she is very rude to the sister and she knew she was doing something bad and I thought that was the feeling that was like I I do not want to have that feeling ever because that's something I think I would never get over in my life to do to be that rude to somebody and she didn't have kids and she was saying something and then her husband who was trying to be so nice to her um, you know, and at that time I was like, she's really stubborn. She needs to have a broader view. She needs to stop generalizing. She needs to stop judging men. And I think that was, which was very, really disturbing for me that she would go to that extent. And that's where I kind of did not like her because she was not trying to understand the whole world does it right. The women get through it. The men do it. So I was annoyed that why is she not trying to understand that perspective? of marriage and intercourse and it's part of it even giving birth is you know we don't we all go ahead I mean uh, you have one child there and then I know she has that but a lot of people keep on getting pregnant again even if by choice right and if we remember all the trauma of birth nobody would like to you know do that or go through that again I had a huge trauma the first time like I it's too much. Someday I'll tell you off the record. It took like three surgeries and a few years before I was able. But you know, I have two more kids. So to me, I understand about the trauma. And I still hold to the point that even if she saw a lot of the way she reacted and the way nobody was able to open her brain, to me, that is something because a human has to grow. A lot of times we grow up thinking one thing that whatever our parents say is right or whatever we see is right, or for that matter, whatever our parents are saying is wrong. And then we grow up and then we open our minds and then we learn things. And then we go back and either regret or think that we're okay. And that is the growth that stubborn people don't have. And again, I'm judging, but that is, I think, the point of the book that it's hard for some people to understand that. it's We can't have a bed of roses every time. 
there's going to be times when people are going to be bad to us. They're not going to be nice to us. And I think before we started the discussion, you guys were talking about that people come and say, oh, why did you close your practice? And all. I think I tell my kids, and I don't know, I may be wrong or something, that yes, you should be nice to other people, but don't expect people to be nice. Have a thicker skin. That's to me is a message I want to give to the next generation. Have a thicker skin. People are going to be morons. And, you know, that's the best way to get through. That's the best way to keep, to stay focused on what your goals are. So I do believe that trauma or not trauma, she was very close-minded about those things. And either she did not seek the opportunity. And I, st- I you know, back home, I, I've lived in the city. I've gone to school, college, everything. And I've been school here. But I also, like most of my summers were in a village. My dad belonged to a village. And I know the women folk in the community there and everything. And it's a age old thing where women are always saying, oh, it's got nothing to do with us. Even today, I know there are many cultures, the women, even if they enjoy sex, they say, oh, it's not for us. So there is something that is also, I don't like when, especially Shana's people from our countries, the women are never gonna admit that sex is enjoyable or pleasurable. They always try to put it that way. And I think that same with a lot of other cultures. It's a refreshing idea in Western societies where women are able to say that. So I still see that, oh, you have to do it. Or, you know, it's, it's a very common thing. So anyway, my point was that certain point was very hurting to me. And I just thought that if there's anything I ever do not want to be in a position in a situation is when I have to... I thought it was so selfish of her just because she didn't want to open her mind. She really ruined the other woman's day. She, her husband on her honeymoon, she was really, I mean, how much, if we look at that person from everybody else's perspective, she really ruined a lot of people's emotions as well. So in that way, I think she was very similar to her own dad. I saw the similarities a lot between the personality between her and her dad. They were people who were selfish about they like I I I like her love for the mother I thought that was beautiful they showed a really nice relationship between Stella Fortuna and the mom but even she had some jealousy with the sister as well so I think uh, I kind of had those I don't know some things against her I mean we all have something against her but I'm gonna try to defend her a little bit and be totally judgmental on the other side of things I don't have any children. And so, you know, I know that's a natural process and I've just never wanted to go through it. Maybe there were times I wanted, maybe I didn't. And I was like, I, I don't even know why anyone would go through that. However, I'm still aware. I'm very consciously aware that this is what happens and this is what women go through. And I, I still can't. I'm like, well, fine, it's for you, but it's not for me. But I'm sure if my circumstances had been different, if I was married to someone else when I was much younger, chances are I'd have gone through that. And and then I would have had a different experience or, you know, I don't know what I would be talking about. I think there's a certain sense of empathy that comes from having been through an experience, which I can never have. For example, you guys have given birth to a child. You've, You've gone through the pain, but you've also gone through that love. I'm told it's like 
Like, oh my gosh, like even Stella Fortuna, when she lost that first child, like before she, I, I think she lost the child before the child was even born. Like her love for this unborn child was so great. That emotional bond, which, you know, obviously I feel like it's something that comes through empathy because I don't think she would have ever had that empathy unless she went through that experience. So there are certain things that come with empathy. And so I'm kind of like, well, yeah, she should have tried, but there's only so much you can try. Now, on the flip side, talking to someone poorly and making them feel bad about not having a child already, things like that, that you don't need, quote unquote, knowledge or you need you don't need to go through not having a child to empathize with that because I think that comes from just being a good human being, just not hurting someone. It, that comes from saying, okay, this person has not gotten this, you know, has not gotten a child in their life. Or maybe someone wants to get married, but hasn't gotten married. You know, this is in the case of, I'm just saying, if there was someone who wanted to get married and didn't get married, and if someone came along, go, ah, you're not married. How come you're still not married? But that would be like throwing salt on the wounds. Those are things I don't think you really need education on. I think she should have known not to have spoken to her sister-in-law that way. Also, this wasn't her fight with her sister-in-law. I mean, that was not her fight at all. Her sister-in-law did nothing. And so that made me upset also. I agree with you, Rufa, because it's kind of like, wait, what did she ever do to you? I mean, she was trying to be nice. Heck, your own husband was trying to be nice the whole time. He was trying to be nice. Everybody was trying so hard and being nice. And she just threw it away. And that I had an issue with because that yeah, went past I, other, you know. Exactly. And I know, you know, and I know that you said and you you have a very open mind about it. My sister is, has been trying to have kids for a long time and she doesn't. Uh, my sister-in-law doesn't have kids and it's very hard for me to send and I don't send any picture of Mother's Day to them or I don't send a lot of my kids pictures to them they love my kids but I always feel that I can't share a lot of things about my kids to my sister and my sister-in-law mainly because they don't have kids and my sister especially wanted so much she had gone to IVFs and all like you know she's been through a lot and that's beside the point. I'm just saying uh, what she did was not because she was she didn't have the knowledge, not because she was uh, very young or she was judging of the. She did it for a very selfish reason so that she ha could avoid sleeping with the husband. So just for her own motive, she was trying. That's where my point is. Not the not this that you know she shouldn't have hurt or uh, because she did not she wasn't nice enough. Uh, it's just that for her purpose, for her motive, she had been doing that. So that's what I was going that I think that was very selfish of her. And I think she had this phobia. Uh, and in nowhere, it says clearly that her brother in law was ever, you know, shown to have uh, eyed her in a way it was her own thinking. Same with the dad. Uh, so I think it wasn't that 
because they lived together and it seemed like he was a fairly nice. And that's one other thing I loved about the book, the way the negotiation take place, it took place of the marriage between Tina and Roku, Roku. Um, it wasn't very nice. It wasn't very, you know, I would say uh, like he, he was fighting over the light bulbs with the dad. Right. But, you know, that doesn't you, you don't have to judge that person because they lived happily towards the end. He was a faithful husband. He stayed with her. Well, we all have personality issues and it's fine. So, you know, not everybody has to be an awesome person. Otherwise, they're never going to get married or something, you know, but things like those I also liked about the book. So I think it was her own phobia. That's what I meant, that she was not opening her mind to anything. And which also is there are a lot of people like that. So we need to understand those people. I understand that there are a lot of people I know who are not willing to open their minds. I just felt she was also betrayed by her sister's husband. I mean, like the whole thing about saving the money, that whole betrayal thing was just, I just, I don't know. I, I felt like punching the sister's husband out too. I mean, I get it and I don't get it. Uh, I don't know how, how did he find the money? You know, like, it's kind of like, why did she keep it where he could see it? Or did her sister move it where he could see it? I don't know how it, I was like trying to figure out like, wait, how did he find it out? And it's like, and then Tina's like, but it was my husband. What do you want me to do? Lie to him? And I'm just like, oh my God, all the men are jerks. And, you know, yes, you should have lied to him. Or said something. That was my thought on it. I mean, I just somehow that was my thought on it. But I totally agree with you. I just want to say one thing that when you're living in a family, I think it's the responsibility of the people to, you know, I it wasn't to, you know, if if I find some money hidden in my son's, uh, you know, drawer or something, or if my brother is here and he finds it, he should tell me like what is going on. Why does he have that money hidden somewhere? They could he could use it for drugs. He could use it for anything. What if he's running away? I would appreciate somebody comes and tells me that. I'm not saying that what he and I don't know how did that come across that he found the money or Tina did it or whoever did it. There was a reason she was going to run away. So at least it put a stop to that because if she had run away, she would have ruined a lot more lives. So I think it, when you're living, like if my brother-in-law is living and if he finds something in my kids' rooms or something, I would appreciate that if, even if my kids are older, I think not that he should go around looking, but what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit very, not a little bit, very conflicted about these things. And I know that's what we were talking about when we started the discussion that I know there's a lot of this thing about mind your own business. It's none of your business. And I do see that the kids these days are very awkward because, you know, if my mom tells me something, I don't like it. And my mom has experience. Maybe she's not saying everything 100%. And I'm exactly like this. Okay, mind your own business. My sister tells me I don't like it or my mother. I, I do not like it. But I think that is also maybe in 50 years, 100 years, we're not going to appreciate it because we're all going to be a person of our own. And we are not going to like it that nobody ever told us that we could have gone and done something differently. Maybe another person's angle is also appreciated. I don't know. I just want to say that I hear you on your perspective. And, you know, from that perspective of, oh, my gosh, 
if I saw all this money, if my niece, if I went to her home and I saw like, I don't know, $5,000 in my niece's drawer, would I tell my brother? Absolutely. I'd be like, what the heck's going on? Why does she have all this money? Is she trying to run away? You know, that kind of thing. But it's also a question of how old, how old was this person in question? Stella was much older at that time. She was making her own money. And also she spoke to her sister and she said, look, I can't be like this. And, and there was this agreement. I, I don't, I don't agree with you, Stella, that you have to go, but I agree with you. I understand this is not the best life for you. I, I just, I want you to stay, but I understand you have to go. There's all of that, but that's why, you know, having this money, you know, I think I was upset about. I mean, when, when Rufat, you're talking about your situation is like, if I went and I saw my niece had like $5,000 and her, she was like 14 years old, I'd be like, what the heck's going on? If she's like 25 years old, I'd, it's not my business, really. I mean, I'd be worried. And yeah, my brother would be pissed off at me, be like, you, you knew about this? I'm like, but I, I you know, that, that gets kind of tricky. It really gets, that's a very dicey situation. I'll be very, I'll be very honest. There was a situation where someone in my family asked me for $2,000. At that point, I didn't have it. I just opened my practice, you know, like I was still like in loans. I was, you know, I did not have the money. But I will tell you, if I had to redo it again, and I had the money, I would have written the check and I wouldn't have asked questions. And it would have ended up that this person was eloping or something like that. I, you know, that was probably what was happening, which, you know, all of that, but I would have written the check if I had the money. And if I would have done it, I don't believe I would have been wrong. And I wouldn't feel guilty about it because there's a part of me that still feels guilty that I didn't have the money. I mean, I know I'm like, I'm feeling guilty for something I didn't have, like, because I couldn't help. So I think there's a time and place for it, Rufus, and I completely hear you because it's kind of like, do you want to break up a family? But then what family did they have? So I know, Erin, you haven't talked in a long time, and I, I, I don't but I just want to say um, one thing that we're talking about a, a time and place in history where Italian women, even if they were in America, they were not supposed to live on their own till they were married. And this is how it's back home too. And she is breaking through that thing. And we understand now that a woman of that age in whatever 1940s, in this age, a person in the same situation should have, like, I don't check my kids' accounts or they deal with it or whatever. But I know as long as I was not married and I was married till 24, it's it's perfectly okay for my mom to know exactly what I had or what I had not. So I know if it were today, I understand. But in a family-oriented culture, like where brother-in-law, no, and I I know I actually he was my least favorite character, but Tina's husband. But still. I, I think that there are many people in our families who are we don't like, but they're part of the family and they somehow have some, you know, contribution to the family. We don't always like our brother-in-law or sister-in-law, you know, but um, given that situation, to me, it's it's fine. <laughs> I'm looking at Aaron's face. That was, a, that was good, Aaron. A very, very <laughs> subtle, very yeah. subtle. I, I didn't pick up on it at all. 
Go ahead, Rufat. Sorry. I no, no. I, I just want to say that. Go ahead, Erin. I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> I mean, I um, I hear what you're saying, and and I think you're right. Like, it was so shocking then because of the cultural norms. Then today we'd be like a 27 year old woman that's working her own job, ought to have control over her own money. I might be like, hey, sis, you probably should get a bank account, but you know. <laughs> um, but she couldn't have back then because women couldn't have their own bank accounts. So, you know, there were those limitations that were placed on her by society. I agree that if my child were a minor and had a crap ton of money in her shoe drawer, I mean, her sock drawer, I would be like, what is like, I would want somebody to tell me that. But if she was older and somebody like found, I don't know, we'll say it's an equivalent of, I don't know how much money was actually in the drawer and what that meant then, but let's just say it was a few thousand dollars. If somebody saw that in my adult child's drawer, I would hope that if they're part of the family, they have a conversation with her to make sure she's okay. But like, I'm going to trust the relationship that they have and the care that they have for her. And I hope that, you know, if they say they're going to keep something in confidence that they would actually do that. So I know this is a big contention, even like within our own, my own family, um, like on my, my in-laws side, if somebody tells me something in the family, is it assumed that I'm going to say that I'm going to relay it to my husband, whether they said, said, don't tell your husband or not, am I going to tell him? Or is it that if they tell me that's, that that's a, if they, if they, they, they shouldn't have to say, don't tell Scott, like they, like, is it a thing that they think that our conversation was in confidence? And I, yes, I'm married. Yes, we are a partnership. However, I do not think that when somebody is talking to me, that they are assuming that they're talking to Scott as well, because he's not there. His two ears are not in that room. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's, it, I don't think that it's assumed. And so I, I think that part of the issue here is that same, that same topic, you know, her sister was I think in the moment that she was talking, when Tina was talking to Stella, that there was this like, yeah, this is incompetence. Yeah, I'm going to keep my sister's trust. I'm not going to say anything. But then when her husband was like, you've got to tell me everything because I'm your husband and you're my wife and I'm responsible for you. He he had the feeling that everything that was said to Tina was fair game between them and their marriage. And, um, and he convinced her that that's the way that it was. And so I think that that is, that is a difference that even, you know, my family is (laughs) clear evidence that uh, there's disagreements on, on how that is. I will say that, like, I do think that different families have different levels of transparency. So like on my side of the family, my siblings and our spouses and my parents have a group chat. We talk about stuff all day long. Okay. It's, we don't physically live close to each other. I mean, they all live together within like a 20, 30 minute radius of one another, but I live three and a half hours away, you know? So, but we talk all the time and there's really not much that transpires in our lives that the others don't know about, to be fair. And then on my husband's side, he has a sister and her family that are here, his mom, dad, stepmom. He has a sister that lives elsewhere, but like we never have conversations. We don't even see them. We live closer to them. And I have more interactions with my family and there's more transparency there. Like his, one of his sisters had a tumor and we didn't know until like months after the fact, when somebody accidentally said something, you see what I'm saying? So I, I think different families have different levels of transparency. And I think that makes a difference in how that we interact. And in Stella's family, there was like no boundaries, if we're being frank, there was zero boundaries. 
except for just you have to blindly trust the men in the family, the patriarchy. But I know the family was crazy for that matter, like no privacy. I haven't seen that. Uh, but I do see that, you know, I, and I loved your point that uh, even if she had found Tina or her husband, her husband could have been a nicer person and talked to Tina instead of just giving it to the dad. Um, but to me, I understand it living in a community and a culture where your uncles can also scold you as much as your dad, or they can make a decision which college you go to and your dad may not be able to. So it's, you know, to me, I have become a very different person that I don't think I'm going to dictate my kids or even, you know, however they raise their kids. I'm not going to, I'm still like, you know, uh, I love planning events. I love decorating and all that, but on their weddings, I'm always like, you know, they'll do whatever they want. I'm not going to try. So even already I have this thing where, you know, but I don't come from that culture, from this culture that I've become of myself, but I totally get that Italian culture and Italian or Pakistani or Spanish or a lot of other cultures where your brother-in-law is like your own brother is like, you know, somebody who can make a decision for you or like, you know, help you or kind of, you know, scrutinize you or something like that. I think it's part of the culture. I mean, we can appreciate it or not, but what I'm saying is like the way she wrote turns out. I'm just, and that's an education for Western uh, cultures as well, that that's how, you know, other cultures lived. Right. But I'm just really glad that, you know, I know that's part of the culture there. I know that's part of my culture growing up, our culture, you know, all of that. But I'm really glad it's changing. I'll be very, I'm be the first to tell you, I am so glad. I agree. Is changing. I am so glad I live in this country and have the freedoms that's afforded to me. And I'm so glad I can be like, listen, I respect you, but I don't respect you kind of thing. But it's still with all of that, with where I am, I still have to respect like my uncles. And if they say something, I still have to kind of sort of respect them because I'm still their niece. I'm not in that next generation of culture to say, well, go to hell. I can't do that to my uncles right now. I just can't. But I think one generation down, that will happen. I really think something like that. I think my one of my nieces was like questioned me on something and it's like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm like, oh my God, did you really raise your voice to me? I'm your aunt, you know, and whatever. It's, that's fine. But it's just as far as culture goes, I know we say, well, that's that, that's the book, that's the way it is. It's kind of like reading a book on slavery and being like, oh my gosh, this happened. We have to understand it was in that time, in that frame. But this is why it's so important to understand it so we don't hold on to it and we don't give it power and say that, no, this is fine. No, this is how it was there at that time. But thank you, God, it's getting better. That's kind of what it is. You said, Rufat, that you didn't like Tina's husband. He was one of your least favorite characters. So let's talk about favorite characters. Who was your most favorite character? I think I liked her mom a lot. She was, I just uh, thought that she was a brave woman. And I think Stella then says that she was, Stella thought she was the bravest, but actually it was her mom who was the bravest. And she did, she was a very selfless person and she, really did a lot to to adapt and to do what was good for the family and I I really liked her I have two favorites I really liked the mom's sister the aunt 
that they left back in in Italy. Well, I think she went to France maybe when her sons, yeah, like moved there after, well, before, I don't know, before Stella and her family moved to America. Um, so I really liked that aunt because that aunt was basically like my, you know, I think her husband like had gone off somewhere to work or whatever. And she was like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> I mean, she was just so like unaffected by it. And I, I really just appreciated her perspective. And I think that I mean, she even had good humor around her sons who she felt like for a time period had like gone off and forgot her. Uh, so I, I really appreciated that aunt. And the aunt was always encouraging the mom to like, you know, stand her ground and kind of forget about Stella's dad and move on sort of a thing. So I really appreciated that aunt. Um, the other character that I really liked was the narrator because she just sees, you know, she's, she's obviously quite a bit younger. She's the granddaughter of Stella. And then, yeah, so um, great niece to her aunt Tina, but she has such a relationship with both women. And um, I would say like, it's, you know, a granddaughter, granddaughterly or grandmotherly relationship between them, between both, right? Like she has that with both her grandma and with her, her great aunt. And I just loved that. I loved the beauty of their relationship. And even though the story is not about her, you still get to see just those beautiful moments and she sees both women for who they are and she can see the story. I think even honestly, without judgment, right? Like she doesn't try to cover up her family's narrative. I know it's a novel. It wouldn't be productive if she tried to cover up her family's narrative, but, but I just loved how she just told the, told the facts like they were. And she still found the beauty even in, in the brokenness. Any characters you hated, like your worst character? I mean, you could say all of them. I mean, for me, it's all of them. But anyway, anyone you've particularly hated? The dad. I really couldn't. Like, I know he had some some personality traits that were in common with Stella, like their stubbornness but um, and their fighting spirit, if you will. But um, I just really did not like him. I don't even care. I mean, I do care. I get that part of his story is his trauma from childhood. Okay. And I get that he has lived with shame of his family's truths for a long time. But I just, I, I think he was so without remorse in the end that he was just not salvageable for me as he was just, oh, like I just cannot stand him. And I thought whatever happened to him, this is my vindictiveness, but whatever happened to him was well-deserved and probably still not enough of what he deserved. And I do, I get that Stella did some, like she was very mean to her sister-in-law and that was probably the, the thing that I hated the most about her actions. But I think in the end, like a lot of what she was fighting for was righteousness to a certain extent, if you want to term it that, like she was trying to do right by people and it broke her right in the end. She, yeah, she's, even though she did some things that I would not do and I don't agree with and, and it just showed her brokenness, you know, hurt people, hurt people. But, um, I think she was still a salvageable character for me. I still, I still liked her, but her dad was just, ugh, ugh. I just couldn't stand her dad. I think right from the first page till the end, I just wanted to put him in a blender and just turn it on. And then I think, no, that would be a fast death. You know, like I just wanted to torment him and torture him like little at a time, you know, and keep him alive and just 
I just, I could not fathom the dad. And you talked about his past traumas and stuff like that. I didn't get too much of that from the book. Maybe it's just, I didn't focus on it because for me, the way he was, I don't care what past traumas you have. I'm sorry. Just no, just no. I think I have like intense, like hate and just, it just, I can feel it within me. This can't breathe when I think about that man. Like I do not want any man of that character of that energy within a hundred mile radius of my home not even a 10 mile radius, a hundred mile radius of my home. It's that, that energy that he carried was just horrible. And her mom, I just felt so bad for her. I just, I love her that she just tried to keep the family together and she did what she thought was best and what was right and what she could do to the best of her ability. But my heart still aches for her mom, you know, yes, I love her, but I can't save her. You know, there, there were times I just wanted her mom to just kill her husband, you know, things like that. I'm trying to think, wasn't there a book? I'm trying to think, remind me where she takes an ax to the husband who comes back and she chops That was him up. Um, salt, uh, salt. Of women and salt. Of women and salt. Thank of you. women and salt. The husband comes in and she just takes an ax to him and reading this book, I kept craving for that scene. Like I just wanted an act scene and that would have been, that would have been great vindiction. That would have been great. I don't know, retribution, all of that. Um, But yeah. And just um, this book was disturbing in just so many ways and it was good in so many ways. It's just one of these books that just kind of, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like, I feel like I can't rub it off of me. Like, it's like, I just want to go and shower and wash it away from me. Like I want to forget every part of this book. I want to forget the experience of reading this book, but I can't. It's just there. And I'm like, can I add more soap? And it won't come off. And I, and that's the thing about this book. And I don't like that it won't come off. I mean, you know, we, we talk about books that's like, oh my gosh, it just stays with you and it makes you feel good. And this book stays with you and it makes me feel miserable and I can't get it off me. That's kind of how I feel about this book. And I just, I don't know. And maybe that's a theme because, you know, most people who go through the life experiences that were described in this book do not get justice. Right. And like for so, so long, I think that Stella did not have the means to get justice. And so she was just trying to run and escape and that didn't happen either. And then when she realized, you know, here she is, she's an adult, she's an aunt, she's, uh, and she catches her dad molesting her nieces. And I think that she wanted justice in that moment, but, and, and maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think she realized that it, it that it was not going to happen. Like the kind of justice that she wanted wasn't going to happen. And, and maybe even there was nothing that could ever equal that. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like no act that you could do could achieve. Cause maybe what she wanted was not just justice, but was repair. That's not the right word, but you know, like she wanted all of the wrongs righted. 
And that wasn't going to happen. You can't go back. You can't erase that. Like justice can't erase the damage that happened. And I think she recognized that and it just ate her up. But that's maybe the lack of ending is all. Rafat, you had something to say because I I think we should be like closing. Closing, yeah. I just was hoping that somebody would have killed the dad. I I was hoping that Stella, when she found the little girls, she she should have killed or mom should have killed the dad. So that's what I was going to. I think think the author knew we wanted the Mm -hmm. dad to die. Yeah. And I'm sure the author wanted the dad to die, but I think the author wanted to present a reality and leave it with us. And, yeah, just uh, like Karen said, the justice is not always. Right, yeah. And it's just, you know, yeah, I will not be reading this book again. But with that said, you know, I'm just going to go with cover, title, and my final rating. The cover, I give it a two. Okay, I just, the cover looks like a really like a pleasant book. It just looks like a friendly book. It looks like a relationship with, you know, her and her sisters. And it looks like, I guess, them picking berries in the field or something. And you just, I don't know. It just looks like a journey of life. Sure, you have traumas, but not this book. So I give the cover a two. The title of the book also, I give it a two. I don't know what I would title it otherwise. It's like seven or eight deaths of Stella Fortuna. Really? Like when Aaron picked this title, I'm going like, really? What is seven or eight deaths of Stella Fortuna? It's like a mouthful. And I don't know what I would have called the book, but the title is a two. But my overall rating on the book is a definitive five. Although I will never read it again, I will recommend it with reservation. I mean, I'll have to see who I recommend it to. I can't recommend it to everyone, but I still, that's my, my rating is still a five. Erin, you want to go next? Okay. So uh, the cover, I mean, I'm just ambivalent about it. It's dark, which kind of sets the mood, I think, of just the, the difficult things you're going to go through in the book. But I think those are olive, olive trees, olive branches, which... Gosh, I didn't think about that till just now, but isn't extending the olive branch like supposed to be like forgiveness or, and maybe that goes back to the narrator. What cover I mean, are she's... you looking at, Erin? What mm. Because I'm kind of like, there are two covers I also oh, oh, oh no, that's not the cover. The oh, cover I haven't even I seen gave... the other one. Oh, the cover I gave two to. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's like these two sisters going on this journey thing. Oh, that cover, I would have given it a five. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. The, I'll, I'll find the other cover. Okay. I, I'm glad I asked you because I'm kind of like, what are you talking about? It's dark. <laughs> I didn't I'm like, know they were too. <laughs> because I'm like, no, it's not dark. What are you yeah. talking about? Well, I'm glad. Okay. No, that cover, I would definitely give a five. But yeah. my, the cover I saw was a two. Uh, yeah. I think the, the, the cover definitely caught my attention. The title caught my attention. I was like, oh, what's this about? I agree that when I got in the book, just like Riffith, I did not focus on maybe in the beginning, I was focusing on the deaths that they were talking about, but at some point less than halfway through, oh, see, I've never seen that cover, um, Shanaz. So um, that's uh, an interesting cover. I, they must've marketed that to somewhere else. That's interesting. Um, but I, I felt like, I don't know, less than halfway through, I was like, I don't even care about these deaths anymore. Like I just <laughs> 
I'm interested in her story and all of the history of this family. So I think the title achieved getting me in to the story, but the book was so much more than what I thought I was getting into. And I gave the book a five and I would give it a five again. I agree. I would definitely not recommend it for everybody because I, I don't, I think that there's too many mature topics for certain people. Also any, you know, there's lots of trigger warnings, so it's not, it's not for everybody, but I do think that it's powerful. It's stuck with me. Like, even though I read this months and months ago, I, there's many of those scenes that are just so vivid and I, I will be doing something and I'll be like, like one of the scenes from the book will come to mind. And that's, that is definitely a sign of a really great book and a really great writer. So I stick with the five um, on my recommendation or rating. What was your um, cover and title? Oh, I say five on the cover and title. Okay. So you have five all across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cover, I saw both the covers and I, both the covers look happy to me, much happier than the, it seems like the the olives one looks like a, maybe like an Italian family saga, a happy one. And the girls one looks like a, the little house on prairie. Everything is fun and nice. So I no, I, I did not like the cover. So for me, it's, three at the most. The title, since I didn't pick the book because of the title, so I don't know how to judge it, but it was way more than just the title itself. And um, so, I mean, the title didn't entice me. It was a book recommendation. So sometimes it gets, so after the recommendation, I was like, no, I don't know what kind of book it is, but I don't know, maybe title three or four, four, maybe a lot of people might find it better. So, but the book itself, uh, because I could not stop reading. And I think I went through so much emotional, uh, you know, like an inconsistent mood throughout the book that I think it was amazing. I cannot think of another book that has put me through this much. So I have to say that it was a beautiful book, five across. The only disagreement I had, and that's not going to bring down the rating, was I wish she had a little bit attended more towards the trauma of the dad. I know sometimes we are very judgmental and we feel we hate people who have these traumas. I mean, in the same way, Stella had trauma, but we are very, uh, you know, we have a very soft feeling towards her trauma, but not towards dad's traumas. He he went through the war. He went through a lot of things. And somehow, uh, if that had been addressed a little bit more, that would have been a good knowledgeable thing for a lot of people who are reading that, you know, how to address that thing. So that's but still like I said it's not gonna bring down it's just my wish it's just something that stayed with me but other than that it's a very powerful book amazing good choice Aaron I loved it yeah he should have died in the war I just have to say the dad should have just died in the wars forget his trauma I mean well we can ask well anyway yeah but but I just, no, no, you're I'm right. just like you're you're talking about oh I wanted to know about the dad's trauma and I'm like I'm... I didn't want to know about it I just wish that the trauma had been addressed so that the coming generations or you people could understand why people behaved in a certain way you know people can be bad consciously in a different and I did not like the dad at all honestly I wish I was hoping that Stella would kill him so it's not at all something I have any um, like you know I, I didn't like him but I was saying that even people who are psychopath if they don't have a conscious it's just as bad or as good as not having a finger or not so we don't realize that that mental illness also has is just like a person can't walk because it doesn't have they don't have a leg or something so I'm, I just have that thing that 
it's it's something that is very painful for people who live around them but um, we need a little bit more education on that side as well but again that's got nothing to do with my rating <laughs> i think i really went off the tangent <laughs> well thank you for your opinion Rufat. thank you aaron and i think we had a great book club session i just have to remind myself to make sure i put this as an explicit rating because yeah uh anyway so thank you and i will see you all at our next book club okay i hope you guys enjoyed that our next book club is kalyana by rajni mala kilawan and i think um the author is going to join us that should be a lot of fun my next episode for this podcast is most likely going to be month in review as it's already pretty much the end of this month i could go into all my excuses and been like oh i'm so busy and i had this and i had that but i'll spare you guys the details of my life and all of that i am um, working on the next few episodes the one after month in review is going to be an anthology that our friends in alternate history wrote to raise money for ukraine so that should be coming at some point stay tuned i am trying to get these episodes out as fast as i can i'm doing my best so uh hang in there with me thank you before i go if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes please take a moment to write me a review on apple podcasts please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels follow me on facebook and instagram on living a life through books I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shnazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavik. I'm Dr. Shnaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time.